Did you get last week's episode? That was all about setting up your online course. We had a guest on the show, Denise Whiteley, and Denise and I gave you a walkthrough of the tech needed and the steps to take in setting up your online course. The good news is today we have Denise back again for part two of a three-part series, and it's all about how to market your online course today, which means your content calendar, lead magnets, paid ads, bonuses, and so much more. There's a lot mentioned in today's episode. It's a bit longer than last week's episode. We're going to get technical, but not too much. If you're wondering how to get your message out about your course out there to the right people, well, that's what today is all about. This is episode 105 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast, and you're very welcome. If this is your first time here, welcome. If it's not your first time here, you know by now, having listened to previous episodes, that this is the show for people like you, for freelance trainers, for training business owners, training consultants, coaches all around the world, people who love to do what they do, which in my case and your case is helping people to be the best that they can be profitably. I like the way that rhymes. And the goal of this show, every episode of the show is threefold. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. As I said before the music, Denise is our guest again this week. Denise was on last week's episode 104. She's back this week for 105. And whereas last week we focused on setting up your online course, this week it's all about marketing your online course. So we're going to focus on marketing themes, defining the audience for your course, creating bonuses, understanding ads, creating a buyer process or path, and so much more. Denise, hi, and welcome back again for part two. Hi, Mark. Nice to be here again. So just to be clear, um, for people listening to this, this is not um, what many people do where they record two parts and act as if they're on different days. This actually is a different day. This is Thursday, 10th of September. Um, You were on a while ago, so this is now a separate day to the first recording. And as we looked at online course creation last time, the focus of last time was about setting up an online course. Today is all about marketing your online course. So that's what we're talking about today. We're going to look at specific things. We've both uh, a clear idea of the structure we're going to walk through. So why don't we start, first of all, with the idea of creating and implementing a content calendar for both blogging and social media. How would you define that, first of all, for people who are not clear on the difference between blogging and posting on social media? So um, the first time you launch a course or anything, the number one mistake most people make is that they're, they're not keeping in contact with their audience regularly. And in order to build the know, like, and trust factor, you have to do that. So if you can plan to blog weekly or to video weekly, and then you take parts of what you've blogged about or you know, audio or video, whatever, um, or written, what you've done, then you can post those on social media plus past ones. So you just take a sentence or two from any blogs you've done or you share 
a link of a pertinent article or something like that. Like if you lay that out ahead of time, then you can let your audience know that you're working on something and they already know what you're all about. They know what you're, that you know your stuff, that you know what you're talking about and that you consistently keep in touch with them. Um, Somebody put it as, um, compared it to, you know, when people used to get magazines in the mail, like in the physical mail, they, they knew that it was coming on the 15th of every month or the 20th of every month. So they looked forward to that day. So if you regularly deliver on Tuesday of every week, they know to look for that. And they know, okay, he, that person's going to provide me with great information that I can use in my business, in my personal life, and you know, wherever they need it, that you're an answer to the problem they have because it's a problem, solution, problem path. So they have a problem and they want to know that you're a solution. And then there's going to be another problem that comes up and they're going to look to you for that solution also before they look somewhere else. So that's why when you develop your course, now we've already outlined the course. So what I say to my clients, for instance, is if you have a farm and you have a horse, a cow, you know, chickens and turkeys and pigs, you don't, you don't give away the whole farm, but you give away like the horse. So they know, okay, I'm getting the horse from this person. And I know they have more information. If they give this much for free, imagine what they give for paid. So when you create and implement that content calendar, you want to keep it so that it's in line what you've outlined for your course. So it's saying all those same things. So they know that you have the solution to the problem, to the language like they're writing in their diary. Okay. So if I can paraphrase that briefly, uh, two things there, two things that pop out to me. First of all, consistency is key. Um, You have to, hence the term calendar, you've got to be regularly posting or just like say this podcast, people have come to rely upon an episode appearing on a Thursday and in in the course of time, people kind of expect you to be there for them because if they become almost emotionally attached to what you're doing, they they want to believe that they can click on something, read something, listen to something and do so consistently. And the second thing is, um, if people feel that you're giving something away now and it's valuable to them, then their mind kind of does somersaults thinking, well, if this is the, the free stuff, what does the pay stuff look like? So you're kind of building... Um, a taste for what is yet to appear in the paid course. If people feel this is what you give for free, imagine what you give under a, under a, or for a price tag in return. So what, what consistency, what cadence does there have to be? Is it weekly? Do you feel, is it daily? How much content is enough? And, and what kind of days in the week do you think are a great day to post content? I think it has to be at least weekly. Um, if I get bi-weekly, like bi-monthly from my clients, I'm excited. They do it at least twice a month. This always changes the day of the week. Like You have to look at the latest reports or data, whatever, on the day of the week. I think that first thing in the morning is working right now. I avoid Mondays and Fridays. And Tuesday mornings seem to work. The first thing in the morning, it hits their inbox early before you know they've gotten the day started. So they're more like, we have to make the choice, use their brain power. You only have so many choices, like you only have so many decisions per day. And to watch your video, to read your email. Uh, I, you know, are there certain emails that you read? I do get some emails I do get every day, but I don't suggest that because you don't want to overwhelm people. They already have so much in their inbox. If you hit once a week regularly with your blog and then maybe hit one or the time during the week to say, oh, I saw this or I thought this was pertinent to you, just something that pops up. So you're talking to them like they're friends, then like, that's okay. Um, if you 
If you do short little ones and you hit more than once a week, that's great. If you do, like some of my clients, they do a monthly newsletter that's really long and then they hit during the week just with short things. So it's what you're comfortable with on one hand, but on the other hand, you should hit them at least weekly just so you stay, stay top of mind, even if they don't read your emails. And you can look like in the email marketing system, you can look at, okay, is it sending weekly working? And what can I do to change if it's not working or if it is working, what can I do to make it better? So by working, we, we could mean, for example, which content generates interest, which creates uh, the most likes or reactions. So you will know by gauging interest in what people are interacting with, responding to, liking, sharing. This is the, the con- content which uh, me- makes its mark, which has an effect on people. This is the content which people like. And these are the days of the week uh, that people like to receive and are generally going to read them. So I think I would agree with Mondays and Fridays being perhaps a bad day. Kind of makes sense. People have a busy weekend or they're just catching up with work. And on Friday, they're thinking of other things, maybe some meetings, and then they're kind of checked out mentally for the afternoon. So I would agree Tuesdays would be a good day. And then, of course, there's the question of channels. So for some people, it could be Facebook. It could be LinkedIn, which is kind of my thing, or Twitter or some other channel. So whichever way, you have to decide which social media channels are a priority. Maybe blogging is your thing. Maybe it's not your thing. You could, of course, hire someone to write blog posts for you. Moving on to the next thing then, Denise, uh, your next point is creating a four-part video series geared to sell the product. Um, why, why four parts? I'm used to three. I'm just curious, why four? Why do you think four is a number to, to use here? for content creation videos. Because that's what I learned in Product Launch Formula with Jeff, Jeff Walker. Walker. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you, you can do three or four. Uh, there, is a, there is a specific um, strategy to those four emails. And the first one is, give me two seconds, I have this all written down in my project management system. We're talking about the mental triggers now. And when you use these four, you, you use this strategy to do this, then... Um, it helps people like actually watch all four videos. You'll see as they do the first video, like a lot of people will watch, and then the second less, the third less, the fourth less. But the it's again, it's a problem solution path. So just give me two seconds, and I'll bring this up. So the first video is the opportunity. Here's the opportunity for what you can learn here. Here's you know here's your problem. Here's the opportunity for what the solution is to that problem. The second video is how it works in the education of okay. Here's the problem. Here are some steps to help and to educate you, things you might not have thought about before to help you solve your problem. And then you offer proof. So you let the person watching the video experience what it's like to own the product, like to own the course that's going to help you through your problem to a solution. And then the fourth video is the offer of this is what you get if you buy this online course for however much, you know, however much you will get ABC. Like that's where you're where you sell it. That's the sales video. So you can, there's testimonials in there too. Like that's the proof. So you can combine a couple of those, but the whole point in the videos is you recap and forecast. So you, you recap what happened in the video and then forecast what's going to happen in the next video. So you keep people interested. So there's a kind of a recipe for each of these videos. It's not just a case of filming and just talking. You really want to go through a structure. So people almost learn something, not almost, but learn something and then anticipate the next step in the video. Or if it's the last video, anticipate the call to action, which is the the, the buy now and why. 
And maybe there's some element of psychology and scarcity in there too, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Do these videos have to be any particular length? Is there a, a recommended duration after which people lose interest or? They're usually about 20 minutes, Could maybe 20, maybe 30 tops. Cause you don't, you don't want a whole hour because people won't watch through a whole hour. So if you do like a 20 minute video that they'll spend enough time to watch that if they think it's going to give them a solution to their problem. And people can film videos using an iPad or a DSLR, or they can even use a high-end uh, phone. Next, we have create a four-part email series, which is geared to sell the course. Why is that different in your mind from the four-part video series? So a lot of people say to me, I don't want to create videos. So you, um, it's to, in place of the videos. So you can either do a four-part email series with the same strategy, or you can do a four-part video series. And the, the videos are in the email rather than the written text. Mm. And of course, there's a particular art to writing good copy. It's not something you can just do out of the gates. I think people have to learn. They have to study good email campaigns to see how they're written, what they're intended to communicate, and what they want people to do. So usually a good email doesn't just inform people, it converts people to take an action, some kind of next step. And of course, you can use ConvertKit, which is what you help your clients to do, or MailChimp or ActiveCampaign. Drip, there are lots of these uh, out there, but you prefer things like ConvertKit, uh, ActiveCampaign. Why those two? Why are they on your website as technologies you suggest? So I'm a programmer and ConvertKit and ActiveCampaign let me program. So they have, they lay out the funnel for you. You can see, uh, like in the automations, for instance, I can do things, I can say if then else. So I can say, if the user clicks on this link, then send them to another automation that's another nurturing sequence. Um, it's, I can, in MailChimp, for instance, you have one list and one sign-up form. In ActiveCampaign and ConvertKit, I can have multiple sign-up forms and then I can tag them. So tagging truly works in ConvertKit and ActiveCampaign where it doesn't MailChimp or um, Aweber. So, and that, that, so I just like, I like them better because they give me more flexibility and they active campaign just came out with landing pages. I haven't tried it yet. ConvertKit already had landing pages and I love it. And I think, uh, Brennan Dunn, you know, Brennan Dunn, uh, he created a course for developers for ConvertKit recently. Oh, did he? No, I, I didn't, I don't know him. I'll have to look him up. I'll send you the link after this, but he basically has a, I, he was a guest on the show, um, back just after Christmas, 2019. Um, but you'll, I'll send you the link anyway to the, to the episode, but, uh, he's an expert on, he's a programmer, works as a freelancer and, uh, creates a course or created a course recently helping people to get into the nitty gritty tech side of ConvertKit. ConvertKit, by the way, was uh, developed by a guy called Nathan Barry. Um, he was also a guest on the show a while back. So yeah, quite, if you're listening to this going, what the hell is ConvertKit? What are lead magnets? Uh, there are a couple of episodes you can listen to. Um, so there are things in there, of course, which I would struggle with. Um, and this is why I would need people like you, Denise, which is to understand automated, uh, emails and sequences because they're, we're not too, we're not trying to be uh, too um, clever here. There is a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of stuff you can do right and a lot of stuff you can get wrong. So I think people like me need expert help from people like you to figure out the paths, the sequences, the automations. There's a lot to know, isn't there, in this, in this context? There is, there is. There's so much, like when you create a lead magnet, for instance, like a lot of my clients only have one, one or two lead magnets. And I'm, I wanted them to create three or four lead magnets because then you can watch in your email marketing system, like ActiveCampaign or ConvertKit, you can watch which ones convert. 
and that, you know, promote that one more than you promote the other ones because you're always trying to build your email list. So we call this A-B testing, the, the, the idea of putting up multiple versions of things and seeing which one works. Now, like there is A-B testing, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. So when my clients, when I, when I talked about the forms in ActiveCampaign, how you can have multiple forms for one list, I can see because I'm using different forms for each different lead magnet. I can see which lead magnet it had 100 people come to it and only five um, converted, signed up for the lead magnet. Or it had 100 people come to it and 50 people signed up for the lead magnet. Then I'm going to say, so that's, it's just seeing which lead magnet works best. Um, A-B testing is saying, does the red button or the blue button work better? So red is a stop color, blue is blue and green tend to convert more. Is that right? Yep. On, on buttons. So. Okay. There we go. So you mentioned lead magnets. That's the next thing. And we breached, we briefly touched upon lead magnets last time. So a lead effectively is, is confirmed interest in something you're offering and the magnet suggests attraction. So a lead magnet is something of value or perceived value to a prospect, a potential customer. And that could take the form of, I guess, checklists, guides, something PDF in format and downloadable. Is that right? Yes. Just something you can make it like a 10 page PDF or you can make it like a two page or one or two page PDF. Something that if I read this, it will make my life just a little bit better. So it'll solve this problem. The problem I'm having right now that I'm writing in my diary. That's all you want. Because then that gets them on your, your newsletter list. And the more people you have on the newsletter list, the more people that are likely to buy your course when you go to sell it. Yeah. And there are loads of tools out there that you can use to create lead magnets. Uh, one I've used in the past um, is something called Beacon, B-E-A-C-O-N dot B-Y, Beacon dot B-Y. And the CEO of that uh, tool um, was on the show back in 2019. And you can effectively create a bunch of lead magnets, like a, a guide, a checklist, an ebook, and you can change the formatting, add images, you can add a table of contents, all that kind of thing. So this is crucial. If people, if you want people to invest in a course, you have to invest in them, first of all, by giving them things which are valuable, not just, you know, a one pager thing, but something which is in depth, addresses a, a problem they have and provides some kind of solution. And there are lots of tools out there, but uh, beacon.by is something I quite like. Okay, so that's the lead magnet. Sorry, Denise? I'll have to try that one. I want to just add one thing. Like when you create that lead magnet, put your website at the bottom, put your logo, put your name, put your phone number, put your email. A lot of people like create this great lead magnet and it has no contact information. <laughs> Can you believe that? Oh. <laughs> so the next thing then is bonuses. And we also mentioned this last week. Bonuses are things which help to sweeten the deal, I guess, when people are, you know, wondering, is is this all I get? Or, or mm, I'm not sure if this is exactly what I need. Bonuses can help to vocalize questions in people's minds and provide something that answers that doubt they have. So for example, someone looking at the course might say, well, um, how do I, how do I uh, do X? And then your bonus, which you give away, could be something like 12 ways to do X quickly. So there's a, a there's an opportunity here to mind map what doubts or questions people have in their mind, because inevitably we do as consumers, often we feel what's called uh, buyer's remorse. So the, the idea of bonuses, I guess, anticipates what doubts or questions people or objections people may have. 
and provides those as extras. Are there any other reasons to provide bonuses for your course? Because I think sometimes people feel, well, I'm selling a course, that should be enough, but it's not really, is it? It's not. like People want to feel like they're part of a community. So having some place that, whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Mighty Networks, like having some place where they can gather and talk to other people who are having the same problem. How many times have you been on a coaching call and somebody else is talking about a problem they're having and you're like, oh, I'm having that same problem and you get something. So that's one, one bonus that you know helps people par- feel part of a group, feel accepted, feel loved. So that's, you know, bonuses do that, um, that bonus specifically. And just knowing they have access to you, like the person teaching that has all the knowledge, you know, that's, and other bonuses are like, one of my clients is, um, does DIY home repair and she has a checklist of the tools she uses. So I don't have to think about it. I can just go to her checklist and I can pick, okay, I need this drill. I'm just going to buy this one on Amazon or Home Depot or whatever. So those kind of things that make people's life easier. They're like, okay, this will make my life easier. And I can, again, have a solution to my problem. The other reason I think that bonuses are quite helpful, particularly when it comes to crunch time, people making decisions to part with cash in exchange for a product they may not feel they trust or know yet for obvious reasons, is that bonuses confirm your authority on the subject. Because you go above and beyond just the course. Here are extra things that I know. Here are extra things I've learned. Here are extra things I can share with you. And I think that um, that helps people when they are concerned about, you know, just is this enough information? Is everything in the course? The second thing that I think bonuses do is they also strengthen your price position. Because if you're selling, say, at four ninety seven, a particular course, people might feel, well, is there a way to get money off this? So they might not make a buying decision, but when they see bonuses, and those those bonuses are linked to making a decision now, people are more likely to feel, well, actually, it's worth making this decision now, easier to put it off. But you also mentioned, I think, something last time, I can't think what that was, something to do with bonuses and, and how they actually help people feel about the product. Um, I'll come back to that. I'll, I'll think that one through, but um, that's something you listed somewhere or you we discussed last time and I thought that was quite a helpful way to see bonuses. You might so therefore listen to this and think, well, surely my course should have everything. Uh, I don't think it should. I think your bonuses should be extras. Uh, if you have just a course and everything's in the course, sometimes the course becomes too bloated with information. It's a nice way to separate things by having bonuses and a course, course and bonuses. They're not necessarily the same thing. One complements the other. The next thing then is the layout of the new subscriber process. Let's walk people through this. What do you mean by the layout of the subscriber process? So you can use a tool for this. I use Funnelytics sometimes. You can use Excel. I'm an Excel junkie. So, but you want to just walk how people go through your email marketing system, how they come into your email marketing system, like on your website through the lead magnet, and then the emails you send to them afterwards. And do they read all the emails? And in like the third or fourth email, you, you sell them, upsell them to something, whether it's a free strategy call with you or your low barrier to entry product. So something that costs $7 or $7 more tripwire. So something that costs maybe like $49. So they don't, you're teaching them to buy. So if you map out the process and see where 
how somebody who actually purchases all the way to your online course, which may be like four ninety seven or nine ninety seven, you can see where they how they went, but you can also see how they drop off. When do people start dropping off, and then that's where you can make the changes. So, in flow charting, you use different shapes for specific things. So you can say, okay, they're starting at lead magnet one. They're getting three emails. Yes to the people that set up a call with me or yes to the people that buy the the $49 product and then no to the people that all drop off. And you just track where they're going. And one of the tools I use is Funnelytics. And I'm just learning it. I just found out about it about a month ago. So, But when you use the paid version, it'll actually connect all your tools like your email marketing systems do it. So it will track for you and you track the metrics of how people are, how subscribers are going through your, all your assets, like your website, your email marketing system and your paid products. And if you lay it out, you can see. So you just draw a diagram of it, even if it's on paper. I suppose it's a bit like uh, guided navigation through a website. Let's say you're, you're buying a flight um, you first of all come to the page where you would choose the destination, the origin. You would choose the date and time of departure. Once you select that, the airline website brings you to the next step and the next step. And they track your progress through this path to learn where people drop off or where they spend too much time or they run out of time. Is that what you kind of mean here by the, the path? I do. I do. Um it's funny because they track they track so much that the next time you go and look for that flight, it's more, it's a higher price if you don't buy the first time around. No lie. Yeah. So. Are you serious? I, I, I thought that was a conspiracy theory, but uh, maybe that's true. Yeah. That's happened to me. So. There's something else um, that I came across. I haven't used it yet, but it looks quite cool. I wonder if it's like Funalytics. It's called Geru.com. G-E-R-U.com. And this helps people who, are, who run agencies and marketers to actually plan out visually, um, shopping cart sequences, email sequences, webinars, and so on. Now, I'm not getting down, hopefully, into too much tech detail here. It does interest me, but um, I would suggest if someone is designing a course, they stick with that and they outsource this kind of thing to other people, someone like Denise, or other people. It's up to you. I mean, Denise is not the only one doing this. Denise would put up her hand up and say that's quite true. Um, But I would... I would be honest here and say, this is just too much tech for me. Um, when I, that's why I'm having someone like you on the show, Denise, is because many people like me struggle with this because it's very, it can almost be overwhelming. The amount of detail, the amount of tracking, the amount of um, pixels to know, sequences to design. Just looking at the, the cover of Gero.com right now and the complexity of a, of a funnel, uh, it can be mind-boggling. So this is... I would say a tip for people listening is to not go too much into tech because tech ultimately is not the stuff that earns you money. Um, What you are best doing is designing a course as a trainer or a coach. Leave this kind of thing to other people. That's my advice. I've wasted months trying to figure this stuff out myself. It's just not my area. This is what Denise and people like Denise do professionally. Okay, so um, without going to tech too much detail, moving on, we then have to come to a landing page. The landing page effectively is the destination that we want to take people to. They could come from a lead magnet. They could come through a Facebook ad, a Google ad, something on Twitter. They click through a link and they arrive at a landing page. A landing page by definition is simply a page which has one single purpose and that is to convert people to take the next step. So I presume that would be something you can design through 
Teachery, Thinkific, Kajabi, etc. So a landing page to me, like you said, is where you have one call to action. So a landing page is to sign up for a free lead magnet or to a paid low barrier to entry product. A sales page is a much longer page. And well, there's theories about that, but usually it's a much longer page. And that's where you sell your higher priced product, your course. So the landing page is to get people on your list. Like that's part of the marketing plan because it's to get people on your list. So setting up the landing page for the lead magnet and that they have one action to take. You want them to get on your list or to buy the low barrier to entry product. Uh, So that's the tripwire. The term you mentioned a few moments ago, the tripwire is effectively something which I suppose confirms interest. It's, It's a low cost product and it confirms actual interest in, in something. So a tripwire, what you're trying to do in this whole process is to teach people to buy from you. So when somebody signs up for your lead magnet, then you send them to a thank you page and that's where the tripwire is. And that's usually like a $7 product, maybe a $17 product or a get my book at just pay for shipping, which is $10 product. And that's just teaching people to buy and they get more information from you. So say you're signing up for, um, the 10 best ways to grow your email list. And then the tripwire is here's another, you know, here's a whole book on how to grow your your email list. And I'm just using an example. And this is only going to cost you $7 and it's a PDF download. So you're teaching them to buy and they're growing your their list. And then if you teach how to do online courses, then they're going to look at your course now, for instance, because okay, I'm I'm working on growing my list and I want to sell them an online course. So you're you're bringing them up the ladder, up that new subscriber process. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So the people who've bought from you before, even something like a $17 product, they're more likely to be the people who will part with more money for a higher value product. So this this tripwire helps you to tag them in your system. So when you go to launch or sell them a more valuable product, they're more likely to be, I would say, qualified buyers. Okay. So landing pages, again, can be technical. Lots of systems out there like ClickFunnels. I know Russell Brunson uh, gives away a book as a tripwire product, which people only have to pay postage for. That's what uh, that looks like in practice. So the next thing on the list then is affiliate marketing. So to my mind, there are two ways to think about this. On the one hand, where we enter into a joint venture, a JV with someone, and we have access to their list. and, And for that, they will want a chunk of the money. Um, of the course price, um, which to my mind could be something you may not do on your first product launch. The second thing then is where you're marketing someone else's product. So um, you could, let's say, find a product which would make sense to your list, and then you offer this to your particular uh, audience. So what's your take on affiliate marketing in the context of launching a course here? So there's when I, when I talk about um, joint venture marketing is more what I'm talking about, and I'll have to change that on my website. But um, if you build into relationships now, if you build relationships now with people who have a market that is, um, who's your target market, but they sell something different, and I'm just not thinking of the word right now. So they're um, congruent is, you know, to what you do. That's the easiest way for you to get people onto your list. So if your joint venture partner says, promotes your webinar or promotes your four-part video series, then their audience will watch it. It gives you free access to all these people. You know, like if they have a list of 500 or 1,000 or 10,000, it gives you free access to them. And you usually, like they, like if you track it, 
um, and if people clear their cookies or something like that, the tracking could go away. But you can also tag them so you know um, that that's how this person come, came in because they might not buy the first time, but they might buy a year from now. And the going like about it's about fifty percent of the price of a course that you pay a joint venture partner. That's the going rate. You can pay whatever you want, but it's worth every penny because you're getting all these leads that might not buy this time, but they might buy a year, two, three, four, five years down the road. What you're building the first time you launch is an asset for your business. So it is expensive possibly to build it all out, but over the lifetime of the course, it's going to um, bring you in a lot more income because you're going to sell it over and over again. And the process is all set up and done. So that's what joint venture partners do for you is help you bring in more, uh, more leads because it's all people that are all kind of vetted that are from their list. This worked really well for one of my clients because she had a joint venture partner who was, um, he was a built a contractor uh, and he had a whole bunch of other contractors on his list. And she taught people how to build their contracting business so that it was more profitable. So it, it was a perfect marriage. And that's what you need to look for. Because when you run paid ads, you're getting cold leads where these are already warm leads because they're already kind of interested in what you do. And I guess because they've come, so when, when we speak of joint venture, someone has agreed not just to give you access to their list, they're quite happy to warm it up by communicating to their audience, this is a great product, this is why it's valuable, this is how it can help. So that voice they're lending adds authority to your product. It's, it's, it's something that they're willingly, obviously for paid reasons, but they're willingly uh, recommending to their audience. So that, that of course, helps to position that in your their list's mind. The next thing then is to decide on paid marketing. And this, again, is a huge area all in itself. Again, I have I've flirted with um, Google ads, Facebook ads, and I've learned the hard way that this is something to outsource. And even, even Google ads and Facebook ads are miles apart they are they are different platforms with different algorithms, uh, different features, different um, systems. You really have to know what you're doing here. So I guess, Denise, you have to be clear on demographics. You have to be clear on how ads work on specific platforms. How would you help someone to 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 know what marketing, what paid marketing is appropriate for their course? You have to know where you- you have to know exactly who your avatar is. Like my my avatar is named Rita. She, like she's named and she's really written out. I know where she hangs out on social media. Um, and Google, Facebook, they change their algorithms. LinkedIn change their algorithms all the time. So you have to be on top of that. So I agree with you. I always outsource it. And I have trusted people that I outsource to that I know. No Facebook ads, in this case, or Google ads really well. And they won't spend a ton of money trying to find the, the audience for you on Facebook. Like they'll, they know how to get there quicker. So, um, so they're, like you said, so you're not flirting with it and wasting your money. A lot of people, for instance, they think, oh, I'm going to boost this post and boosting posts does really nothing. <laughs> I can tell you, I wasted, uh, I'm embarrassed to say uh, quite a bit of money where I've been suckered into some message which pops up on Messenger saying, hey, you've just posted this. Do you want to boost your posts? And I press the button and there goes $20 up in smoke. It's a complete waste of time and money. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And 
Facebook just changed their algorithm again. So groups like, I'm sorry, Facebook business pages aren't getting as much. Um, there are not showing up in other people's news, news feeds as much is what I, I heard. I don't keep up to date on all of the algorithm changes, but that's one thing I heard. So it's like, okay, great. We, we're relying on that, you know, to run your Facebook ads because the more likes you have, the better chance your Facebook ad will do def, do better in your, you know, when it's, when it's running. So it's interesting. Like it, you have to really know and keep up with it. Google ads is more for small businesses. It's a whole nother ball of wax. It's, you have to run it like you have to run it consistently. A lot of people don't give it enough time, no matter what platform you're using. You have to give it three to six months to actually get the right audience and get enough leads in and warm them up, I think, before you even see purchases. So, because they're all cold leads. So, and a lot of people stop too soon. And then the reason, of course, that Google and Facebook are multi billion dollar companies is because they figured out uh, to a finite degree or to a very fine degree, a granular degree. Um, how to make these systems work. And they are complex. They are designed by PhDs, quants, specialists in mathematics and physics and things. I don't think the average person without some degree of uh, focus, time and money is going to be anywhere near as good as people they can find online and hire to do their Google ads for them. Exactly. I agree. So we have a huge choice and that's part of the issue. We have Google ads, Facebook ads, you have Twitter ads, Spotify ads, quite recent, uh, where you can actually record some audio and have that dropped into someone else's podcast. That's fast developing. You've Instagram ads, and some people find success with Pinterest, TikTok, and so on. And there's a huge number of channels. You mentioned your avatar, Rita. How did you come up with the name Rita? I'm curious. And how did you, what exercise did you go through to clarify in your mind exactly who the audience is, is for your business? So Rita is my favorite saint. She's uh, Saint Rita. That's that's why I came up with Rita. Um, and book yourself solid. That was one of the first things I did in my business, and I kind of revise it. Like even it's marketing one hundred and one. Like everything. Like Jeff Michael Walker's, Porter. Yeah, book yeah. yourself solid is Michael Port. Yeah, Michael um, Port. Yeah, and he went through that. He lives about half an hour from me. I've met him in person. Um, He's a and, machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's heroic public speaking is, is their latest thing, I think. Um, and then Jeff Walker's product launch formula, even like a couple other programs I'm in, they all, the first thing they start with is write down your avatar and it changes. I know like for my avatar is, um, is a, a woman and she's been through a significant life experience. So she has that compassion and I want to give back attitude. So that's, you know, that's part of what Rita is. And she's usually older, probably in her forties to sixties. So that's, there's more to her than that. Like I've written a lot down more, but it's, it's knowing who she is, where she hangs out. She has kids. She's hanging, hangs out on Facebook, but right now she's pissed at Facebook because it's so political. And you say one thing and you just get blasted. If you know, it doesn't matter which side you're on, you get blasted. So, um, you know, so a lot of, like I took Facebook off my phone, for instance, because I'm like, I don't want to go there. I, I don't want to be scrolling towards that feed. I don't want to waste my time there. So she's kind of doing the same thing or she's very active on Facebook because she knows her audience is there. So she's staying there and she's posting all positive things and things that help people. Um, she's talking about LinkedIn. You know, so I know what she's doing. I know where she's hanging out. Like she's on Instagram because that's where um, 
her nieces, her kids, her nephews are hanging out because they're all in their 30s and you know they're, they're mid to late 30s and they're starting to have kids, they're starting to get married. So they're going to put the pictures on Instagram. Now that's just you know a small example. So, um, but if you're her, one of my clients, her target audience is women in tech, they're on Twitter. So we hang out on Twitter for her. We make sure she's posting on Twitter. It's, you have to know where they hang out. You have to know your avatar that well. Um, and every time you talk in a video, you're talking to your avatar. I'm talking to Rita every time I'm on a video. So that I, so, cause that's who she wants to hear what I have to say. So it gives me confidence when you know your avatar, avatar also. So. Yeah, I think you're right. Part of the success of, of having a course, just like a face-to-face course as a trainer listening to this, you have a, an audience in mind. People come to your course because they want to learn something. And the reason they want to learn something typically is to solve a specific problem. So the more adept you are at outlining in your mind exactly who the audience is, you're more likely to be on track in creating content which solves a specific problem that that audience has. You mentioned um, women in tech, and that's interesting because back in episode 93, a few episodes ago, we had Yota Trum, who's based in London. Um, she's from Greece originally, and she set up the women in tech uh, group in London, and she's now expanded this to Amsterdam. It's called the Women in Tech Club, and from scratch, she now has, ooh, is it close to 2,000 people on her list? It's incredible. So, you know, think of, think of an audience like this. If you have an audience, there must be a need that they have. There must be a common set of problems. That's what the course is designed to do, which is to address them, speak to those people and solve problems that they have. Anything else that comes to mind in terms of making success? We're not talking about launching the course. That's a different uh, conversation again. There's a particular sequence. I can imagine uh, the stuff that Jeff Walker teaches you or has taught you is is key to how that works. But what else would have to do to be in place to get people excited about the course and, uh, you know, warmed up? So when you do come to ask them to make a buying decision, they're confident that your course and your message is is the right thing for them. So one point I want to clarify about the avatar, your avatar is not you. You can't talk to the person that you want to buy the course, like they know everything you know. You have to talk to them like um, on a, a lower level, like a you know a fourth, fifth, sixth grade level, and realize that what you think their problems are are not their problems. It's not what you're thinking. You have to talk in their language, um, number one. Number two, um, so when you're thinking about to get your, your avatar, your ideal audience excited about this, you have to keep talking like you're reading their diary and that you've experienced kind of what they're experiencing, what they're going through, um, and that you also understand what they're thinking. So if we use the women in tech, like they're like, I'm a very black and white thinker and I know that I'm aware of that. So I, you have to be aware of what they're, how they think also. So that gets them excited. Oh, she knows how I think she knows that it's either black or it's white. And there is gray area, but I don't really want to go there because that's too scary. You know, that kind of thing. So you have to address it that way, if that makes sense. Um, what else can get them excited about that? Let them help you build it. So if you say, yeah, um, good idea. So I'm, I'm about, you know, I'm about, I'm working on a big project. What are your top two questions about, um, productivity if you're a woman in tech? Or what are your top two questions about, you know, how to fix your toilet if, you're trying to keep, you know, do your own home repair so you don't have to pay a plumber. So um, 
those are the kind of things that get them excited. If they feel part of, like they helped build it, they're more likely to buy it. Yeah, there's a guy called um, David Seitman Garland. I've heard of him. Yeah, David Seitman Garland's brand is Create Awesome Online Courses. And his specialism, he began doing this back in 2008, which in uh, internet terms is, is donkeys years ago. But David teaches a process on how to get your course uh, built, mapped out and, and designed and then into you know, a format that people can, can consume. It could be through videos or through uh, you know, um, some written content, uh, posts and so on. There's a particular defined process. And something he talks about is the concept of, of um, pre-selling your course, which I think is what you're alluding to there. The idea being that uh, you could design the course in scratch and then go find a market for it. Or you could design, let's say, one part of the course, put that out to market, see what people, how people react to that, and then loop this feedback into the next module in the course. You're kind of building the course on the fly, releasing it to people, gathering that feedback in a kind of an agile project management way where you're... Um, listening to feedback, incorporating this into the next stage of the product or course development. Exactly. I mean, in product launch formula world, that's called a seed launch. So you're building it, you're creating the course as you're selling it because then you're building what they want. Um, And the one thing I want to add on to that is if you watch how people, if you watch how other people market and launch their courses and sell their courses, there's not like I talk a lot about Jeff Walker because that's what I've studied, but I've also watched what other people do and like watch what they do and see what you like and what you don't like. But helping your like the sales page, for instance, if you like a specific design of a sales page, then use that one instead of what's suggested by a specific um, person like Jeff Walker or Janine Blackwell or any, any of those people. Um, when you ask them to help you build it, and when you build it, you can send out surveys as the people, as you're building the course, you can send out surveys and say, what did you like about module one? I, w- I wouldn't suggest doing it after every module. I mean, you can, if you want, what did you like? What didn't you like? Did this help you? And, you know, like build your surveys out that way. So the next time you launch it, you have built what your people want. And that's, cr- that's very true because if you're not building what people want, and you're not convinced, you can't be sure that it's what they want. You can do what a lot of people have done, and that's build a great course that no one actually needs and exactly. wants. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that, of course, is is dreadful. It's a dreadful experience. I've done that before. I, I made a 120-page ebook, and I only got a few people interested. So that that's a very sore learning experience. There are people who advocate this concept of pre-selling, where you design something on the fly, release it, uh, step by step, get some feedback, learn what your audience likes and improve those modules and then release them to the next group. So you're kind of dynamically improving content as you're learning from people's responses to that content. Okay. Well, Denise, we've had you on for a huge amount of time. Thank you for so much for coming back today for part two. Uh, launching is a separate process. We might uh, <laughs> talk to you about that at some point in the future, but for now, I think we have a lot of uh, content that people can focus on specifically when it comes to the huge task of getting a course out there. And given that COVID-19, which could soon become COVID-21 and maybe COVID-22, could last, for many people, this is the future. Creating content with your name on it, uh, getting content out to the global audience, 
And this is why creating uh, courses that sell, that solve problems is crucial. If you're a a freelance trainer or coach, this is definitely a way to go to focus your attention on in the current situation and of course in the near future to generate revenue from what if what is to some extent a captive audience people are at home these days they're learning they're taking courses online i ran uh, one course this morning online and at some point i would imagine as a trainer as a coach you kind of want to get off the the hamster wheel of running the same course again and again and again live and this is why people create courses which are evergreen. It's it's designed, it's perhaps redesigned, and once you feel you have that course tied down and all the bits are working as they, they should, and you've been given feedback from your audience through their purchases and their responses that this course is exactly what they need and it's worth the money, then you can put this on autopilot, create a course, and work with someone like Denise to, to build it and to market it and just watch that passive income come in. Absolutely. Denise, thank you so much again for being our guest today. Thank you, Mark. It was great. Thanks to Denise again. Thank you, Denise, for being on the show for a second time. And I'm delighted you've accepted the invitation to come back for part three in a few weeks' time, which is all about launching a course. So keep your ears tuned for that And of course, my special thanks to you today for tuning in to this week's episode of the Training Business Podcast. And I love the fact that this author, this person, Denise, was recommended by a listener. So I would love you to keep doing this to recommend guests, people that speak to you in some way, maybe a book uh, they've read or you've read of theirs or something they've written online or a video of theirs which you've watched and you think they would help you and listeners to the show because there's something in what they do or how they do it that would add value to people in the training business. So if you have some great ideas for content, for guests, for episodes, please keep these coming. And my email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. Now, I'm not saying this for effect. I'm serious. This is your show. This is not something I'm selling you. It's something I do from my heart. So it's very important that whatever I say is close to your heart, which means aligning what I do and how I do it with what you need from me. So content episodes, please keep them coming. Mark at trainingbusiness.com. If I can ask you to do anything, it's to leave a rating for the show. I would really appreciate that. And you can do so on Apple. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything or me to leave a rating, but it does help to attract the kinds of guests who can help you with your training business journey. And if you can, of course, subscribe to the show and there are episodes of the show and these you can find every single Thursday on your favorite podcast platform of choice, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio and many, many more platforms out there. So until next Thursday, stay safe, keep on training Until next time, bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.